Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 12 of Syracuse Sports. My name is Brent Axe. Great to have you here. However you got here. Did you subscribe? Oh, bonus sticker for you. Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, two cups with a string in between it. However you're listening to the show today, greatly appreciate that. But please subscribe and follow. And if you can leave us a review, that would be fantastic. That helps us stand out in the world of podcasts. And we just love getting your feedback on the show as well. So leave us a review if you can. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, looking forward to episode 12 here. Noah Eagle, play-by-play voice, NBC Sports, Syracuse alum, going to be on the call for Syracuse and Purdue. He's going to join us coming up. We've got one more thing on a former, I have to say this carefully now, they're not a former Syracuse athlete. They're a Syracuse alum that should have a number retired for their impact on athletics. That's your hint for one more thing coming up a little bit later on here. But one thing that, I've really been struck by in the conversations lately. I wrote a column about this. We did episode 11 partially on this, and the feedback keeps coming in from you guys about traditions at Syracuse football and how there's kind of a lack of an active tradition. Like everybody knows the legend of 44, and there's a lot of little things that add up on a Syracuse football game day. So we put the call out there, and you can always get in touch, Brent Axe Media on X or Twitter if you prefer bax at syracuse.com that's b-a-x-e at syracuse.com is the email and we have a voicemail line 315-552-1964 and kevin in rochester sent me a voicemail that i wanted to listen in on here just he listened to episode 11 he's heard the conversations about tradition and had this to say hey brent uh, my name's kevin I'm from rochester uh been a football season ticket holder for Syracuse for eight years and just just listen to your most recent uh podcast here with the uh, savannah bananas guy i really like that one um but just on the whole tradition thing and all that um just give my two cents which I, I don't think i've ever called in any of these things or anything like that but i really like your show i really like you and your takes but uh, uh anyways uh, enough of blabbering but uh i just gotta say as a kid going to the games it just felt different the stands were packed and all that and i think just going through those really really tough years with uh with robinson after you know um pascaloni left uh, things were just too tough i think we do need just a solid you know maybe five six years of being near the top 25 being a good team just to get the people back in everybody likes the winning culture and that's it really the best tradition is winning and i understand you can't do that year in and year out but this is a fair weather sports, not only town here in Syracuse, but it can be a fair weather sports fan base as well. Everybody peaks when they're winning 2018 season. They've got 10 wins when a Syracuse basketball team makes a final four run or a deep tournament run. Everybody's a fan, right? We all became soccer fans for a couple of weeks last fall when the men's soccer team won the national championship. But the best tradition is winning. But when you don't have that winning to lean on, it's the routine of game day that really gets people going. What makes college football feel like college football? And this is so much more important these days because what makes college football and college sports, college sports is evaporating before our very eyes here, right? SMU, Cal and Stanford are about to come into the ACC. And the fact that even a decade later, Syracuse is in the ACC 
the regional aspect of sports is gone. Syracuse football doesn't have a traditional rival. They have Pittsburgh and they have Boston College, but it's nowhere near the level that a rivalry game out there, I don't even want to compare it to Michigan-Ohio State because that would be unfair, but even just like a, a trophy game that a lot of schools have. Syracuse doesn't have that. The 44 is gone, as we mentioned. So I'm hoping some new traditions evolve, and you guys have had some great feedback on that, some great questions about that, and it's a discussion we're going to continue to have here on Syracuse Sports. So thank you for that. Once again, 315-552-1964. If you want to leave us a voicemail and Twitter and email to get in touch with me anytime as well. Well, we got in touch with Noah Eagle, and look, you can't mention Noah Eagle without mentioning Ian Eagle. He is the son of the famous play-by-play broadcaster, both Syracuse alums. Ian Eagle, for my money, is one of the best play-by-play guys that's ever done it. No matter what sport he does, he's going to be stepping into a bigger spotlight towards the end of basketball season when he will be the lead voice on the NCAA tournament. But Ian does the NFL. He does the NBA. He does the Brooklyn Nets. A lot of big-time national events. But what I am encouraged to see, and I'm a little biased because I had Noah in my class at Syracuse, and I know Noah a little bit personally, but he is stepping out and establishing his own name and his own brand. But it's fascinating when you look at it. I wrote down a few of them here. The father-son combos that we have seen in sports over the years, the Bucks, Jack and Joe, the Alberts, Marvin, Kenny, three generations of the Carey family that called baseball through the years. The Brennemans, Collinsworth, right? Both Jack and Chris Collinsworth, uh, speaking of which, on NBC. Wes and Woody Durham, the Flemings, the Golics, the Greasies, McDonough, Packer, Shap, Chris and his father, Phil Sims. It goes on and on here. I've probably left out a few big ones there. And Noah is one of the next to really stand out there. He is now the lead college football play-by-play voice in terms of Big Ten coverage for NBC. He's on the call for Syracuse and Purdue Saturday night. What do you say we take a listen to our conversation? Well, it all comes full circle for this guy here is Saturday night on NBC, Syracuse and Purdue, Syracuse alum Noah Eagle, on the call and with us here on Syracuse Sports with Brent Dax. Great to see you, my friend. How you doing? Fantastic to see you as well. See you face to face almost, you know, essentially as close as we could get. But I'm doing well. This is the, the first one for me post-grad. So exciting times and hopefully we get an equally exciting game as what we saw last year. Yeah, there's a lot to go over with this game and, and some things we want to talk about with you, Noah. But you, you said it, your first one after Syracuse, and this is a part of a whole new adventure for you. So uh, as we're going to talk about here, you're just coming off of right out of college. You're the play-by-play voice of the L.A. Clippers. You've done a lot of national events here. But tell us about uh, your new role here at NBC. Yeah, it, it's been it's been wonderful so far. The NBC family has welcomed me with open arms, and they've appreciated the, the work that I've put in so far. So we're, we're headlining with this Big Ten Saturday night package. So every single Saturday night at 730, you'll have us on NBC, and we're doing the Big Ten game of the week that we've got, essentially. You know, it's, it's divvied up in the conference between three different networks, and so we're a part of that, but we're going to get high-level games. We've got a big one, actually, next week, Notre Dame and Ohio State, which right now is a top-ten matchup. So, you know, everyone wants to say that's the main event. 
I obviously know the main event is this week when, we, when we've got Syracuse and Purdue and the Orange and the Boilermakers, but it's it's exciting. And I get to work with Todd Blackledge, who I think is the best in the business of what he does at the analyst spot. I think Catherine Tappen is elite at what she does on the sideline, and, and she's been great for us. We've got a, a fantastic team behind the scenes, Matt Marvin, our producer, Chuck Danmeyer, our director, and then... You know, our studio support has been off the charts. Maria Taylor hosts. We've got outstanding personalities with Matt Castle, who is an awesome dude. Joshua Perry, who is ingrained in the Big Ten. And Mike Robinson, who's just one of the most upbeat, positive people you'll ever be around. And Ahmed Farid, another Cuse alum. So we have overtaken, trust me. Ahmed and I make sure to remind everybody, listen, we know we're in the Big Ten, but Orange runs deep in this family. So that's going to say on the surface, we're good. I had a chance to talk to him in a previous uh, conversation here, not uh, this podcast, but just uh, uh, a conversation. And I wanted to ask, I mean, I kind of have a sense of some of the other networks out there, but what's the what's the Q's representation like uh, in the NBC <laughs> sports family? I mean, high level, certainly at the very top, you've got Mike Tarico, who is uh, partly running the show, certainly with the on-air folks. So when you've got him leading the way and we know just how ingrained he is and involved he is with the organization to this day, that's a good start. But Ahmed and myself and people definitely behind the scenes, you know, I, I was talking to some of the people who helped make some of the hiring decisions and I'll only say this and I'm not going to say names or anything, but I only say this because of course we're in the, the Syracuse world. And they said that every time they interview kids coming directly out of college, it's always the Syracuse ones that stand out above all, and they always end up hiring at least one a year because they are the most qualified, most dignified, and most prepared candidates that they have. So high high recommendation level for sure, but also high delivering factor, and I think that's what counts for the most. Yeah, I was curious about that, Noah. Look, you have told your story before, of course. Uh, your, your dad, Ian Eagle, is uh, one of the most famous play-by-play broadcasters out there. Your parents met at Syracuse. I remember talking to you previously that, you know, maybe you were hesitant at first to follow in those footsteps that you kind of wanted to carve your own path, but eventually you end up at Syracuse and the reputation precedes it. Now that you're removed from it a little bit and you're telling stories like that and hearing from people that are hiring here, what is the consistent theme that you hear about? What, if it's play-by-play, behind the scenes, whatever the case may be, of the professionals that go into the business that come out of Syracuse. Is there a common theme that develops there? I think there's two things in particular. The first one is just everybody's buttoned up. They know exactly what they're supposed to do, and they do it consistently. And that's an underrated term, not just in this business, but in life. You want people who are consistently good. And we hear that from the Syracuse football head coach and certainly did at the beginning of his tenure a lot of being consistently good and not occasionally great. There's something to be said about that. And I think that a lot of people that that exit the Newhouse School have that quality of just knowing exactly what the work is, knowing how much they need to do, and hitting that every single week and hitting that every single game and hitting that every single day and whatever it might be. So that's the first part of it. The second one, and this is another one that I think a lot of people don't really think about until you actually have to go through it, is never, never being rattled. I think that when you're at Syracuse and certainly when when Coach Beheim was there and, and some other figures, you had to make sure you were never rattled, no matter the situation, no matter what was thrown at you, you needed to be able to handle it. And I think that is a high level of education then moving forward when you're outside of that world of, okay, I've dealt with so many different things and I've worked on so many different potential packages or sports or assignments. 
and I've tried every role and I've learned to stay composed in every role. And for me, that was the, that was a key was learning how to be a producer, learning how to be a director, learning all those other roles, sideline reporting or analyzing and understanding what went into that so that I knew not to get rattled so that I could find a way to keep everybody else at a very calm disposition. I think that's just, it's better for the group. It's a team environment. And I think these kids, they, they feel that right away. All right. So how did that apply? Cause I was going to ask you about this. You had the opportunity to call the biggest comeback in NFL history, the amazing game between uh, the Vikings and the Colts at the end of last season. I was actually at the game that was the previous was gonna, greatest comeback. I was going to ask you because I was I, there. I knew it was Buffalo. All right. So you were there for it. I was there. My dad wanted to leave in the third quarter. And I'm like, Whoa. dad, we drove, we drove two and a half hours to a playoff game. Let's just ride it out. Right. And it's a good thing we did. Yeah, and thousands of people. Right. Frank Reich, who also had the greatest college comeback of all time, right? And so you're at that game. I understand you also called what was the second biggest comeback in NBA history. Correct. So how do all these lessons apply when you're calling these games? I mean, you're, you're doing this game. It's 33-0. And what you learned so much, not only at Newhouse, but just – in general here, it's just don't assume anything. Sports can throw so much at you. But, man, in the back of your head, you got to be like, God, it's a 33 nothing game here. But your dad had some good advice for you. I know he texted you at halftime. Two uh, really valuable pieces of advice. So I wonder if you could share that with people. And just how did all those lessons that you brought up about being ready, being composed, apply in, in unbelievable games like that that you've gotten to call here in your young career? Yeah, I'd say let's start at the beginning, which was my senior year at Syracuse. That was 2018-19 and Ty's Battle's junior year. And if you remember that game with Georgetown in the Dome was a crazy back and forth game that Tyus ended up hitting the game winner with about two seconds left or so on the clock from probably 18 feet out. And I was on the call for that one. It was myself and Connor Federico on the call for WAER. James Colgan was with us doing stats. We had a, a whole squad, you know, of our class that was doing a bunch of stuff. But it was Connor and myself, and, and Connor grew up a massive Big East fan, and so it was a big deal for him. I grew up a big, huge fan with my, with my parents meeting there, as you mentioned. So it was a big deal for me. But what stood out to me about that game was how loud the Dome was. And I had heard the Dome get loud before. I was there when John Gillen hit the buzzer beater against Duke, and everyone rushed the floor. That was loud. My freshman year was the Michael Benajay, Trevor Cooney final four run. There were some games that year that got real loud. My senior year was that 10 win football season with Eric Dungy. And even when they beat Clemson the year before, it got loud. So I'd heard it, but it, I felt like that was the loudest to that point that I'd heard it even more than the Gillen game winner. And I think it was because of the Georgetown lore and, and certainly people that are from the central New York area and lived in the central New York area felt like it was bigger. And I did too, as a big East growing up, big East aficionado, if you will, going to the big East tournament every year, going to Syracuse Georgetown many times as I grew up. And so from my, I'm saying as a perspective of a student, it was the loudest I had heard in my four years. And I remember calling the game winner and I'm listening back to it. I'm screaming absolutely screaming my head off and i hated when when broadcasters overly scream to that level like it was to the point where you could hear me straining my voice and so i i remember going to my dad and saying i don't know i don't know why but i i couldn't help but scream and he said 
Well, it's because you you didn't have anything turned off in your headset. You just were hearing everything. And now you're fighting over everything. And so it was a great lesson for me of, okay, when I get to the, whatever the next chapter is for me, I've got to be aware of how can I limit that what I'm getting back so that I'm not overpowered. I'm not fighting back. I'm not fighting over the top of it. So you fast forward to now a couple of those examples. The greatest comeback in NFL history just happens to be at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, where that's as close to a college environment in the NFL as you're going to get. The Minnesota fans, they're so into it. And to their credit, they were down 33-0 at halftime. Nobody left. They were all there for the end. They were all there for the comeback. And so it got so loud in there. And you, you want to let that tell the story, but you also don't want to fight over it. So what did I do? I turned the effects off in my headset. I just let the crowd do the work. Same thing for our, our first week college football this year at Penn State. 110,000 fans were in attendance that day, actually over 110,000 fans. And they're loud. They, they believe this is a chance to be the best team that James Franklin has at Penn State, a chance to compete for a national championship. I said, I don't want a single effect in my headset because then I'm going to be battling that the entire game. And so it was a great lesson that I learned at Syracuse that I've now taken with me the rest of my career. The other thing, and I think this just comes with getting the reps, and it was one of the pieces of advice that my dad reminded me of at halftime of that Vikings-Colts game, is you never give up on the game. You might have to alter kind of what you're talking about because you don't want to just call it as if it's a close game when it's a four-touchdown difference. But you want to make sure that you're you're remaining at least hopeful that things could could take a turn. And I think that with the Clippers, with all the comebacks, because it wasn't just a 35-point comeback against the Wizards. They had 25-point comeback in Game 6 against the Utah Jazz to advance to the conference finals. They had had other 20-plus point comebacks. They actually set a record my third year with the team for most 20-point comebacks in the season. They had five of them. Wow. So I just I was a part of a lot of crazy games, a lot of crazy circumstances. And with that, you learn exactly that, which is to not give up on the game, which is to always at least just stay locked in and maintain reason why this could turn. And so long as you do that, you're going to be OK. And so for that Vikings Colts game, I had known the Colts in their previous game gave up a record amount of fourth quarter points to the Dallas Cowboys. They end up getting boat raced down the stretch in that game. I knew that the Vikings had the most fourth quarter comebacks in the NFL last year, and Kirk Cousins orchestrated all of them. And I knew that their offense was explosive with Justin Jefferson and Thielen and Hawkinson and Dalvin Cook. So anything's possible at that point, especially when it's in Minnesota. Uh, the other piece of advice that my dad gave me was exactly what you hear from Marty Glickman all the way through through the rest of the, the Syracuse broadcasting lore. Consider the listener, or in this case, consider the, the audience member or viewer. What do they need in this moment? What's the storyline? Stay with those storylines. And I think that as long as you do that and frame it in the right way, you're always going to be on the right track. Fantastic advice there uh, all around here. And our friend Noah Eagle joining us here, courtesy of Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider of SU Athletics. Now, that's advice you got from your dad. I actually, Noah, I had a goal in this interview that I didn't want to mention your dad. He gets enough attention, <laughs> that guy. But I think it's just inevitable he comes up here. But I, I want to flip the script a little bit. You have been asked repeatedly, I'm sure, what kind of advice your dad gave you through the years. And certainly you were by his side and, and, and learned. And he was certainly one of the reasons you wanted to get into this. Is there anything that your dad has shared with you that he's learned from you? Ooh, I don't know. I think... 
I think that the one thing that has always stood out to him is just how I've kind of taken it all in stride and in the way that I've handled the whole situation with him. And so maybe he's just looked at that and, and applied it even further to his own life. But I think it'll take me quite some time to to get to a point where he's really realistically looking or listening to me and saying, Ooh, I, I should do more of that. Or maybe he has, and he hasn't told me, but I haven't gotten to that point yet where at least he's literally said to me, well, I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do what you did. I think it's still more where I'm saying, you cool if I take that from you? And is the answer to this point is always yes. Maybe there will come a day where it turns no. So, Noah, you've had the opportunity to do uh, some amazing things. The Nickelodeon game was so much fun to watch. Fox, CBS, now NBC. I think we should trade you to ABC for a game. <laughs> and that way you got all four networks by the time you're 30 years old, which would be incredible, right? There's so much you've done already and, and just graduating from Syracuse just a few years ago. So as you kind of mark your career and have had the opportunity to do some great things, what's something you have not done yet that you aspire to in terms of play-by-play uh, -play of an event or a sport or, or anything of that nature? Yeah, I, I would say – you know, most of my life, the the top sport or top league or any of that for me was always the NBA, you know, growing up around the New Jersey Nets and then, of course, eventually the Brooklyn Nets. And that was a passion of mine. And I really was I was very close and I was really hoping that I would get a chance to do NBA finals games. I think that I was always looking at the finals. I got to go back to back years when the Nets made it in the early 2000s with Jason Kidd and, and Kenyon Martin and Richard Jefferson and that team. And I remember still to this day, you know, the vivid pictures that were just ingrained forever in my head of the NBA finals and feeling the vibration of the arena. Now the first year they had no chance against the Lakers. Uh, Shaq was too dominant. Kobe was too dominant. It's one of, if not the best duo in NBA history, they're right up there. And they fully just controlled the series, a sweep. But that second year against the Spurs, there were chances. And the Nets, they were up big in game six. They let it get away from them, and, and San Antonio ends up winning the series and the title. But those memories stuck with me forever. So that's a very – that's the tie on my list. I'm fortunate that the number two thing is going to happen this year with, with Nickelodeon in all likelihood, and, and that's the Super Bowl. And I think that's the holy grail for anybody – who's a sports fan or a broadcaster. I actually got to attend my first Super Bowl last year, which what a game for that for that first one to be. I mean, that for was sure. an all-time yeah. classic. And so that was fun. And then number three, I love tennis and I do tennis. And so Wimbledon has been on my bucket list just because of the history and the, the pageantry that goes into that. But I think there's so many things. And everybody always asks me, well, what's your dream job? Or what's the one thing you really want to do? And I give a very political answer, which is there's not really one thing that stands out. I'd say those are ones that always were kind of at the, the forefront of my head. But there was never one thing where I said, I, if I don't do this, I'm a failure. As long as I'm having fun and as long as I continue to be challenged in some way and, and continue to try different things, then I'm good. I, I think I'll be more than OK and I'll be happy when it's all said and done. And again, I know it sounds political, but it's the God's honest truth. Well, and it's interesting because all these things you, you get to try getting an opportunity. You, you mentioned how big of an NBA guy you were growing up. I mean, to be the voice of the LA Clippers, like for a lot of people, if you did that the rest of your life, yeah, that's, that's great. That's fine. Like your dad does so many national events, but is there with the nets game in and game out as well. 
what's that experience like? I mean, you get to do all these national events, and like you said, you want to try different things, right? And, you know, you're trying different games for NBC, and here's, here's your alma mater that shows up. So some familiarity will always creep back in. But what is that like today going forward to be the voice of a team, even with all the different outlets that people have to learn about the team, to read about the team, you know, maybe it's not the same as, you know, when Harry Carey called the Cubs back sure. in the day, but <laughs> what was that experience like for you with the team day in and day out and, and what that means to, to a fan nowadays? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I think the biggest reason for that was because of my passion for the league and my passion for the game and basketball was always such a big part of my life. I played it to the, to the maximum of my ability through high school and, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved every second of going to games. I loved every second of playing video games with it. I loved every second of analyzing box scores or whatever else, media, reading through media guides in my dad's office when I was five and learning about Jamal Mashburn for no reason. You know, it just <laughs> it just fit my personality. And so being around it was even better. And I think it's all about what you make of it. It's all about how you handle it, especially in this modern day. I think it's different than when my dad first started in 1994, which is the fact that players then were a lot more open and friendly with broadcasters than they are probably now. Not to say that I didn't form some relationships with players or get to know these guys, but I wouldn't say I was hanging out with them consistently. And I think in back in the day, you know, I think my dad had that opportunity a little bit more because it was pre iPhone and pre-social media and a little bit more trust factor. And there's just there's just differences in that side. The other thing for me was, OK, how can I get information that everybody else can't get? You mentioned it. you can read or you can listen to a podcast. Or you can listen to interviews. What am I getting that other people aren't? Well, I have access to at least the coaching staff and I can get inside information about that. And then I have to make sure that I'm utilizing it the right way. I'm then processes it, processing it digesting it and releasing it in a way that's not going to get anybody in trouble. That's not going to put the team in a bad light because at the end of the day, I was still an employee of the team. And so you want to make sure you're fair and impartial in many ways, but also make sure that you're skewing it for the fan of the team that you're actually covering. And that's the Clippers. And so, you know, when I interviewed with Steve Ballmer, he, he had said that he was very much okay with having a Homer and I'm from the New York area said, that's not, that's not my style. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll never be 100% a homer. It said, now, am I telling you, am I going to be 50-50? No, because then what am I doing? I'm not the voice of the team if I'm 50-50. But maybe 70-30, 65-35. Yeah, I'd say that's a little more realistic. And I said, look, if there's a highlight that the other team has, if Jonathan Kaminga comes into, at the time, Staples Center and posterizes Avica Zubats, I have to call it like he posterized Avita Zubats. The audience isn't an idiot. They're going to eventually see the highlight and be like, what the hell was Noah talking about? He made it seem like it was a routine jam. Can't do that, right? No. So there's a balance in all of it, but I think a little different than it used to be just with the access and with the familiarity maybe that he used to get. Noah, let's uh, circle back here to this matchup, Purdue and Syracuse. You're going to be calling an NBC on Saturday night. As you've started to get ready for this game, I know you've spoken with the Syracuse coaching staff already. What do you feel like just that the feel of this game is starting to build into what, what kind of uh, a feel do you get uh, coming into this thing, putting aside, you're calling your alma mater. Like this is a really yeah. fascinating game from the standpoint of Syracuse has put up these monster numbers 
top five in the country in a lot of categories so far, yet it's Colgate and Western Michigan. They have been kind of off the radar so far. They haven't been on national TV or anything. And all of a sudden, they're going to be thrust out there in primetime on Saturday night with a chance to really show what they got. So as you've gotten ready for this, what's the sense you get around this game? Yeah, I think there, to your point, storylines are plenty, which is good for me. You know, last week we had Maryland and Charlotte, and everyone looked at that on the schedule and were like, really? Maryland and Charlotte? That's not that's, that's a tough one for you. And I said, no, it's actually a really intriguing matchup. If you actually pull back the layers and peel that onion a little bit, you realize, oh, there's some intriguing stuff we can get into. Sure enough, that all played out. I fully expect that to happen again. It feels eerily similar just in terms of the buildup from the first two weeks of last season for both these teams into the week three matchup. And obviously you just changed the venue, but what we saw on the field last year was incredibly exciting and incredibly sloppy football. And so I'm not expecting it to be as sloppy maybe, but I do expect it to be exciting. You know, Purdue just got a a big win. They needed it badly at Virginia tech last week, the way they fell. And I think a lot of people saw that they lost to Fresno state week one, which they did at home and said, ah, how could they do Fresno state's a good football program Jeff Tedford is a good football coach and they get high level players they are right off the cusp of being a power five school so I I never looked at that and said man what a bad loss it was bad for this game because you were hoping both teams would be two and oh and that could provide a little bit more spark but Purdue is better than maybe what you think they are just based on the paper and to endure what they did last week with a five plus hour rain delay at Virginia Tech, we know how hard it is to play at Blacksburg, as is. But then to have a delay on the road, it's one thing where you have a five-hour delay, you have your home locker room. You're going five-hour delay, road locker room, come back out and get the job done after squandering a 17-point lead. That shows a lot about what that team's made up of. And Ryan Walters, their new head coach, is the youngest coach in the Big Ten. He's just past his mid-30s, but he's a high-level defensive guy. He led that Illinois defense to be the best in the country last year in a lot of statistical categories. And sure, they had high-level talent, but so will Purdue. And Purdue's going to have some big bodies. Offensive line's going to be just way better than what Syracuse has seen these first two weeks. And defensively, they're going to want to get after him. They're going to want to pressure Garrett Trader. They're going to want to see what this offensive line, what kind of holes they have, and Certainly without David at right tackle, I think that you can fully expect that Purdue is going to try to get them into some second and third and long situations. And with Noah Ronde Gatson, they know that they have to key key in on maybe more players than they would have expected. But I'd expect that Purdue wants to get back. The other similarities is you've got Garrett Schrader playing really well, as he did through two weeks last year. And you've got an experienced quarterback. It's not Aiden O'Connell. But Hudson Card comes over from Texas, and he's talented. He's a talented kid. And talking to the Syracuse coaching staff, they know that. And they fully are fully making sure they have their team prepared for everything that he brings. i got to be honest. When I think of rousing environments in college football, Purdue's not at the top of my list. But it's a sold-out game. They yep. seem pretty fired up about it. And the more you've looked into it, Noah, and you mentioned earlier when you were talking about how you literally have to change the effects in your headphones sometimes to really focus in on the game itself. In getting ready for this, what have you discovered about what the environment is is like at ross Aid Stadium? I think it's going to be legit. I don't know if it's going to be. I'm not saying it's Penn State. I'm not saying that it's going to Auburn or Alabama or LSU or any of these crazy, crazy ones, or even Virginia Tech for that matter. But 
I do think the fans are going to show up. They tend to, especially early in the season for a night game like this, they tend to go and support. Purdue always has a couple games every year that they're known as the spoiler makers because they find a way to, to upset a top 10 team. And I'm not saying, again, Cuse is a top 10 team right now, but the way they've played through two weeks, they know that. They know they've outscored their opponents 113 to 7. And I think the fans are excited for what this team is capable of because of the new energy that Ryan Walters brings. And it's energy. I think that's the proper word for him. He's injected a different life into this program. And Jeff Brom did an excellent job while he had been there and goes back to his alma mater now back in the ACC. But Ryan Walters brings something different. He brings an element that that I don't think they've had in a little while. And this youth movement and this, it's just exciting. You know, you go back and look around some of the Big Ten coaches even. James Franklin, when he first got to Penn State, injected a life into that program. Even Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer was young. He was hungry. Jim Harbaugh is a different type of situation altogether. But there are a lot of these situations where you look at and say, okay, they built it. And I think it's going to be a build, but I do believe they have talent right now. And again, it starts with their quarterback. Hudson Card filled in for Quinn Ewers at Texas last year and was good. I mean, he was a good player. And I think if you're not careful with him, he's not. The, the one thing that when we talked to Rocky Long, he had mentioned, he said he's not trying to run. He doesn't want to run. He wants to throw, but he can run. And if you're not careful, he'll beat you with the, with his legs. And so I'm curious about the environment. Dino had coached there. I believe he was the wide receivers coach. I can double check on my on my notes. Yeah, wide receivers coach from 91 right. to 93. Yep. So he was there for, in the early 90s, and they've renovated the stadium twice since, in 02 and I, I think maybe 2019 or 2020. But – he said that it's a legit environment. He called it raucous. He called the, the fans there informed and energized. And so I think that's what you'll see. Can't wait to hear the call, Noah. It is great to see you. It's great to hear from you. I just love seeing what you're doing out there. Continued luck and success to you, my friend. I know we'll catch up down the road here, but thanks for hopping on with us today on Syracuse Sports. BA, you're the best, man. This is always a pleasure. And anytime, you know where to find me. Oh, but wait, there's just one more thing. My colleague Mike Waters did an excellent article and podcast recently about who should be the next Syracuse University basketball players to have their jerseys retired. Always a fun discussion and a heated one at times with Syracuse basketball fans. Now, on that note, by the way, the fact that Rudy Hackett and Jim Lee, anchors of Syracuse's 1975 Final Four team, are not represented in the rafters at the Dome at this point is a crime that should be fixed immediately. So those two would get my vote to go in together. But I want to bring your attention and officially start a campaign to another athlete that I think deserves the honor of a number retirement. By the way, they technically didn't even participate in a sport at Syracuse University. Her name is Katherine Switzer. Now, for those of you that don't know, Switzer was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon in 1967. There's a famous picture of a race official trying to remove Catherine from the course as it was an all-male race at the time. Switzer was a trailblazer and went on to achieve things that had not been seen before in the sport of running. And it all started at Syracuse when she sought permission to train with the men's cross-country running program. Now, a coach at the time, Arnie Briggs, did begin training with her, and he insisted that a marathon was too far for a, quote, fragile woman to run. But he did tell Switzer this, quote, if any woman can do it, you can. But you'd have to prove it to me. 
If you ran the distance in practice, I'd be the first to take you to Boston. By the winter of 1967, Switzer was training for the Boston Marathon, running the roads between Syracuse and Casanova, New York. By the way, when that race official tried to remove Switzer from the race, Briggs got knocked over by that race official. Truly taken one for the team there. By 1972, the Boston Marathon had a women's race. Switzer won the 1974 New York City Marathon and was named the Women's Runner of the Decade. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, had a Emmy Award-winning accomplished career as a broadcaster, and we're only scratching the surface of the impact that she has made. Now, recognizing athletic achievement is certainly noteworthy, but Switzer has created a social revolution, empowering women around the world through running and has done so tirelessly since that day in 1967 when she upended one of the most famous athletic events in the world. Now, Syracuse had a woeful record, frankly, of retiring women's numbers until 2021 when Felicia Legat jacks number 33, became the first female jersey honored by Syracuse University. And Syracuse, to their credit, has gone on to honor several other women in various sports, and good for them for doing so. Now, next weekend, before Syracuse takes on Army, Ben Schwartzwalder's name will be added to the Ring of Honor at the Dome. That will mark the seventh name to go up, with Dave Bing also set to be number eight, but also without a woman in sight. I'm all for all those names on the Ring of Honor. I'm for Hackett's 45 and Lee's 10 taking a place high above the court at the JMA Wireless Dome. There's a backlog of athletes, including in lacrosse, both men's and women's lacrosse, that Syracuse needs to fast track to the roof of the dome as well. But in the case of Switzer, I think Syracuse has a chance to do something truly unique here. Not honor an alum's athletic achievements at Syracuse, but to salute an alum's impact on athletics itself. That's why 261, Switzer's bib number from the Boston Marathon, should be the next number to rise in the rafters at the JMA Wireless Dome. That's episode 12 of Syracuse Sports. I thank you for watching and listening. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be grateful for that. Thanks for your voicemails at 315-552-1964. You can always get in touch with us there. Of course, you can find me on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, or X if you prefer, and on email, bax at syracuse.com. Thanks to Noah Eagle for joining us on the program as well. Don't forget, Syracuse-Purdue, we're going to have our post-game podcast following that game. Be up first thing Sunday morning for you after a late-night game in primetime on NBC. So we'll talk to you next time there after the Orange Take on Purdue. And we thank you for checking out this episode of Syracuse Sports.